Good morning again. Before I begin, let me one more time offer my gratitude for all of you and your love and support as Ari and I make this change for our family. Um, we are, I truly believe, following the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives and uh, that, you know, knowing that God can be trusted in all things, even this thing. So I, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful too for the men of the Kirk who last night treated us uh, to a, a dinner and that was a special time. I've studied scripture with them for, for all these uh, weeks and uh, they're my friends and I, I thank especially Maynard Tim and, and Buzz Brown uh, for their leadership and friendship and for that, that event last night. I'd also like to thank Nancy and the entire PNC um, that asked me to come and serve here as senior pastor on December 6, 2016. Why do I know that date? It's the same day that Chris Sale got traded to the Red Sox. <laughs> and I distinctly remember them calling me and I said, can this please be good news because I've had a really good day. <laughs> and it was my deep privilege to say yes and thank you Nancy especially for the gracious tribute in the bulletin this morning. And finally, thanks to my pastoral colleagues, Angela, Edwin, Kelsey, Marjorie, Jasmine, Keith, for their love, support, uh, especially in this time of saying goodbye. I am grateful and will miss, miss them all. But now, let us pray. And how about today, if you know it, uh, say it with me. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe and believing obey. Amen. A few weeks ago, two Sundays before Christmas, I stood here in the sanctuary and baptized three small children. As are my customs, I managed to soak the sleeve of my robe. I spread the sign of the cross on their foreheads and invited their parents to take a shell that they may one day be reminded that the waters of baptism connect them to the one who made the shell, God, to the ones who collected the shells, the members of our congregation, and to the ones who live on the shores from which these shells came. We're connected in baptism to the whole of God's community. Then I stepped back and took my seat there in the chancel. And Nicole turned around and she had tears in her eyes. Are you okay, I asked her. Yes, yeah, she said, but that was the last one. Right. Saying goodbye means all kinds of last ones, no matter what kind of goodbye it is. You think about the goodbyes that you've had in your lives or that you anticipated having in your lives. One of the things that makes it hard is knowing last ones. But a shell, a last wet sleeve, a last baptism, 
That is no small thing for a pastor at a church, especially this pastor. Why? Because of what baptism means. I can remember one baptism when a child stopped me afterward and said, why did you sanitize that baby? I said, that's really something you need to ask Pastor Angela. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. What I said was, as they taught us at Princeton Theological Seminary, the finest theological seminary in the land, according to John Calvin, it is the sign of the initiation by which we are received into the society of the church in order that, engrafted in Christ, we may be reckoned among God's children. No, I didn't say that either. I said, what? Don't you have a Sunday school class to be at or something? I didn't say that. I don't remember what I told this child. But if I had to do it over again, I might say, we do this. We sanitize her, as you say. Because it's how we show that we care about her life and that God cares about her life. We are designed to care about life. If we were to journey all the way back to the beginning of time, there, would, there we would find God creating the earth. And first he would create the heavens and the earth, and then he would separate the light from the darkness, and then sky from water, and then dry land. Can you imagine watching this? From the land, he would pull out plants with seeds, and then so they might grow, he would make evening and morning, and to accompany the plants, he would make creatures, great sea monsters, winged birds, and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth. Can you imagine watching this, and then finally he would make humankind. And then God would make humankind. And if we were there, we could watch on as, like a sculptor makes pottery, he would take in his hands the dust of the ground, or in Hebrew, the Adamah, to create his Adam. Adam from the Adamah. But then God would do something very important, and it would be very fortunate for us to be there and see it for ourselves. God would take the Adam, the dirt being, and put the Adam in the garden to tend the Adamah. Dirt beings created to tend the dirt. To cultivate the potential for life. Have you ever tended the dirt? Have you ever planted anything? Have you ever put seed to soil? Even grass seed. I remember planting some grass seed on my lawn one spring. I put the seed in the, in the spreader, you know, the tiny seed in the spreader, 
and I pushed it around and around. It was a beautiful thing to consider what might grow as a result of my planting. It was one of the most beautiful things in the world, actually, to think about that. The tend to the potential of life. That's what we're promising at baptism. What I noticed, though, with my grass seed was that there was nothing especially precise about what I was doing. In fact, I might have been going over the same spot more than once. I might have missed patches, and then I panicked. What if I did? What if I wasn't doing this precisely? What would happen? What would be the consequence? I looked back at the ground to check my work. I, the seed was so small, I couldn't tell if I was doing it right. I couldn't tell if I had missed patches or if I was going over the same place more than once. So I kept planting. I just kept running the spreader. I love that Jesus chose a tiny seed in today's lesson to the crowd. In that time, the mustard seed was a common way to refer to the smallest thing. But it was also known that the mustard seed, once planted, takes on a mind of its own. First century scholar Pliny the Elder wrote in his natural history book that the mustard is a hardy plant that tends to germinate rapidly and take over a garden. Once the seed has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. But you never know that until the seed is planted. Over the last five years, we've been planting. Sometimes tiny seeds here at the Kirk, and things have blossomed. In my first few months here, I can remember, we planted the seed of an online option for worship participation here at the Kirk. Back then, it was still sort of a new concept, if you can imagine that. Some argued that it would keep people from coming to church. But we planted the seed anyway. We could never have imagined how that seed would blossom with necessity when the pandemic hit in 2020, right? Soon after that, we, through a comprehensive listening campaign where we listened to everyone, sometimes in churches, we listened to just a few people who always get to be heard. But in this listening campaign, we listened to everyone. And we planted seeds of a new vision, a vision that ultimately turned us toward a capital campaign for our 75th anniversary, a campaign that blossomed into the most successful campaign in the history of our church. Which shouldn't surprise anyone because this is a tremendously generous congregation, one that has budget surpluses every year and an endowment that has grown from the mid-20 millions to the mid-30 millions. We planted seeds of new traditions over the last five years, like our homecoming picnic, like the Kirkin of the Tartan, like candlelight on Christmas Eve, like taking pilgrimages and honoring our veterans and Advent devotionals as a congregation and prioritizing small groups and 
organizing an annual service challenge and establishing an annual mission conference, the seeds of these new traditions are blooming. We planted, we didn't know what would happen, and they're blooming. I can't wait to watch how they continue to grow. We planted seeds of new branches of our ministry. Beyond the online ministry, we have a branch at Fox Run that we call Kirk West. Pastor Jasmine's actually there today bringing communion to them. We have a cooperative parish with four other Presbyterian churches. The seeds there that we are planting, we can be proud of as we watch them blossom. Things aren't always precise. Things haven't always been precise. I'll be the first to admit that. I'm not ashamed to admit it. This place is not a business. It isn't an assembly line, Detroit. The patch of ground, this beautiful building, sits on a patch of ordinary ground. A fertile patch, I think. And we have been about spreading the spreader over the lawn, and the only way we're going to know if we're doing this right, any of it, is if someday later on, life springs up. If life springs up, that's the metric. That's the metric. Everyone in the church, everyone in every church wants to know what the metric is. What's the new metric? What's the post-pandemic metric? This is the metric. Is life springing up? That's it. Life is springing up here in our garden. And it's worth it. It's worth it to be community together because of the way life is springing up. Isn't it worth it? If the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, if the kingdom of God grows so that it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, isn't it worth it? It has been for me. It has been for me, and I was reminded of it. I was reminded of how worth it it is in my last baptism here at the Kirk. My last baptism, which wasn't actually two weeks before Christmas in the sanctuary when Nicole had tears in her eyes. It was the following week the one just before Christmas in Cedar Home Chapel when Tyler John Webb came forward on his 12th birthday to make his own promises, to take on the water. And you know, he sprung up. Tyler jumped up without his parents. <laughs> he left them sitting in the pew. You should have seen him. I, I had to invite his parents up. No, Ryan and Julie, it's okay. He wanted to take on these promises of baptism for himself. I took the water in my hand and I put it on his head. Tyler John, child of Christ, child of God, redeemed by Christ, I baptize you. And he blinked as the water came down his face and into my sleeve. And then he 
took to the other side of the font, another step away from his parents, and I invited him to take a shell. And then I told him, baptism is a reminder of how, no matter what water tries to hold you down in life, God is always going to be pulling you back up. And I truly believe that. No matter what water tries to hold you down in life, God is going to be pulling you back up. I believe it for all of us. And Tyler looked me straight in the eyes this whole time and nodded. And he was just so ready to be part of this, to be part of this garden. And that stole my heart. That life was springing up right before my eyes. It makes it all worth it, the work in the garden. When life springs up and we realize, at least I hope we do, we realize just how important it is to keep planting. The little seeds that seem so insignificant but have a way of taking over, just how beautiful it is to be part of something that blossoms, that blossoms in such a way that it steals your heart. Just what a deep privilege it is to be tending to life together. God cares about life. God cares about your life. The church's life and the life of the world. Which is why he made the Adam from the Adama. Dirt people. Created to tend the dirt. To tend to life and to revel in the way that it blossoms. Tend to life and to revel in the way that it blossoms. May it be so, Kirk in the Hills, for all of you and for this church. Amen.